Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 164 of the podcast that was originally recorded on June 7th of 2017. Some of the games I played this past week, I played a little Century Spice Road, excellent game. I also played a couple of games of Lorenzo Il Magnifico, another excellent game. I also revisited Marvel Heroes Omega, which I really couldn't put down my PlayStation 4 controller though for a day or two. So other than that, I also talked about a few things that I want to play. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the games. This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now, and welcome to episode 164 of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. As always, you can send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to whatimplayingnow at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We have a guild there, guild number 2440. Last week, I made a post in regards to dice manipulation games, and we were having a good conversation over there about that topic. On Twitter, you can follow me at What I'm Playing Now. On Facebook, just do a search for What I'm Playing Now. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign What I'm Playing Now podcast. And then, as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash What I'm Playing Now. All right. I have been preparing for Origins. My wife and I will be heading down there next week. I actually have several meetings set up with a couple of different designers and publishers. I am looking forward to playing and demoing a bunch of different games, and I'm hopefully going to be making some posts to the website probably nightly I would like to try as far as some of the things that I've seen down there as well as a few of the things that I've played during my adventures down at Origins. So I'm really looking forward to heading down to Columbus and seeing what type of new things I can find out and hopefully spread the word on some of the different games that I'm going to play. But in regards to what I'm playing now for the podcast, this could be one of the first times I can remember since I've started doing the podcast where I've actually talked about the previous week's games under the What I Want to Play Now part of the show, and I've actually played two of those games this week. So the first one that I played was a game that my wife and I got to the table the other day, and it is called Century Spice Road. This is a game from game from Plan B Games. This is a game that a lot of people, from what I've been reading on some of the different groups, are saying is a Splendor Killer, and I will say it does resemble Splendor somewhat. I have to say I probably do like Century a little bit more. Let's jump into how the game is set up and how it's played because one of the things that I've noticed when I opened up the box was there was one page of rules and that was pretty much all you needed to play. They explained everything there, which is outstanding because sometimes rules can be a little clunky and these rules are actually really good. To set up the game, all you have to do is take the orange deck of cards, shuffle those up, and you're going to set five cards out next to the stack of orange cards. You will make sure that each player has a player card in front of them. And from the purple cards, you want to make sure that you're taking out the 10 starting cards that kind of have a violet frame around the front. They consist of a card that will give you two turmeric spice and then a card that will also let you do a conversion. Each player should get one of each of those cards as a starting card for each player. Shuffle up the rest of the purple cards, and you will deal out six of those, and those will be the cards that you'll be able to purchase to put into your hand to do the different decks. The orange cards that I talked about previously are going to be cards that you're going to be able to purchase with the spices that you get from playing the the purple cards. So what are some of the different actions you can do on your turn? You can play a card, you can acquire a card, you can rest, 
to get all the cards back into your hand, or you can score by basically claiming a scorecard. So let's go into playing a card. The first thing that you can do when you play a card, there are a couple of different cards that you card types that you can play. The first one being a spice card. When you play a spice card, you're essentially just going to take the spices that are listed in the upper left-hand corner of the card. When you play a conversion card, the conversion card will have an up arrow on there. You are going to be able to convert cubes from one color into the next one up. So that initial card that you start off with that has two cubes on there with the arrow pointing up, you can take a yellow turmeric cube, convert it into a red saffron cube, and then you can take that red saffron cube and convert it into one green cardamom cube. If you didn't want to do that, if you had two yellow cubes in front of you, the turmerics, you can discard both of the yellow turmeric cubes and take two red saffron cubes. That's how conversion works. The next type of card that you can do is an exchange. For an exchange, it's a little similar to a conversion. What you're going to do is you're going to take the cubes that are above the arrow that is pointing down. You will discard those, and then you will actually obtain the cubes that are below the arrow. To acquire a card, all you have to do is if you would like to take the leftmost card, that card is free. Any other card to the right of that, you will have to put any colored cube on the cards to the left of the cubes that of the, of the card that you want to take, you can then take that card and it will then go into your hand. So if you are taking the fourth card from the left, you need to put cubes on the three leftmost cards and you can then take that fourth card from the left. So depending on the card on the cubes you have in front of you, sometimes if you want a card bad enough, you may have to spend some good spices to be able to obtain that card. As I mentioned before, another action you can take is resting. Basically, when you rest, all you're doing is picking up all of the cards and putting them back in your hand, and your turn is over. To take a scoring card, which are the orange cards in that top row when you first set up the game, you need to be able to basically pay for the card by paying the spices off of your board into the cups and make sure they match the colors that are on the bottom of the card. If you take the two, one of the two leftmost cards, the leftmost card will actually give you an additional three gold. The card to the right of that will give you an additional one gold at the end of game for scoring. If you ever run out of the three numbered currency, you will shift the one currency over to the left and just continue playing the game. One thing to keep in mind when playing, the board that you have in front of you has spaces for to hold 10 spices and no caravan can have more than 10 spices in front of them at the end of a turn. The game ends once a player has a fifth point card in front of them. If you're playing with two or three players, you will collect six cards. Everybody gets the same number of turns. So if my wife was the first player and I then ended the game by taking the sixth card, she would not get another turn as we both had the same amount of turns. We count up our points and see who wins the game. That's pretty much about it for setup and the rules of the game. It is only, like I said earlier, you only need the one page to pretty much describe how to play the game and how to set it up. Very easy to set up. There's a, a lot of strategy, though, to the game. You need to figure out when do I purchase a card. I mean, I was sitting there watching what my wife had in front of her to see, okay, if I can get more resources in front of me to maybe try to do two cards one right after the other because you can only take one card on your turn 
But if you can almost chain them together by having enough resources in front of you to be able to afford two cards, and if you can make sure that your opponent isn't going for the same cards as you as there were a couple of times where my wife and I were going for the same cards and one of us didn't notice it right off the bat. And so we were getting close to one of us was getting close to having enough resources to purchase it. And the other person kind of jumped ahead and did that purchase in front of them. That does get a little frustrating. So you really do want to watch what your opponent is going for while you're playing this game. But I will say the presentation of the game is great. The cards look spectacular. The mat really adds to the game. If you can get the mat, the cups holding the spice are just a really nice touch to kind of just keep the game board nice and clean. It's just a really fun game. I have a feeling we'll be getting this game to the table actually quite a bit, and I'm really looking forward to playing it again. I would say for me, this is a Splendor Killer. While I do like Splendor and I did like the chips, this game just has a little bit more strategy and I think depth to it than Splendor did. I'm really interested to see where Plan B Games is going to take this Century Spice Road in the next couple of years, especially because this is volume one of the series, and I believe there's going to be three different games that will make up the series of games to complete this set. And I'm really interested to see how these other games are going to add to this one and how they're going to work together to basically build off of this first game that they've released. So I'm not too sure what they have planned. I believe they're going to be at Origins, and they are one of the companies and developers I want to sit down and talk with to see if I can maybe find something out as far as what is coming in the future for Century Spice Road. All right, so then after that, the next game that my wife and I got to the table, and I actually got to play this game a couple of times, I was able to play a two-player game of Lorenzo Il Magnifico with my wife, and then I was able to take it down to the game store and get a four-player game of this in, and I will say right off the bat, this game scales perfectly. The game scales great. With two players, we had a great time playing. There's a lot of struggle and a lot of tug of war for some of the different spots that you're going to be working for as this is a worker placement game. In a four-player game, there are additional spots on the board that are opened up that you cover up when you're playing with two or three players and having those additional spots there really give you some extra choices. But even a lot of those spaces when you're playing a four-player game, they fill up rather quickly as well. So I was really excited to get this one to the table. Let's talk a little bit about setup and how this one plays and then go into a quick review. All right, the setup for Lorenzo El Magnifico is probably a little trickier than Century Spice Road that we just talked about, but it's still not too difficult. It actually set up, I was able to get the game set up pretty quickly. Um, I did have a couple of people helping me shuffle the cards and make sure because you do have four piles of cards and there's three different ages, I guess you could say. There's Roman numerals one, two, and three. The ones will be on top of the twos. The twos will be on top of the threes. You want to make sure the ones are shuffled, the twos are shuffled, the threes are shuffled. Those stacks are there, and then you will deal out four, four cards into each tower, starting with the lowest spot on the board and working your way up. This game will consist of six full rounds of the game, and then it will be over. So just keep that in mind. You will know the game is over because if you've done it correctly, all of the cards will be played and there will be no more cards to put out onto the board. So you'll, if you're not paying attention to the rounds, you'll know when the game is over because there, will be, there won't be any more cards to put out there. You're going to take the excommunication cubes and put them above the church section of the board. You're going to make a supply with all the different um, resources. You have servants. You have wood, stone, as well as coins in two different denominations. You're going to set the three dice on the bottom of the board, and those will be rolled by the first player. 
if you're like I mentioned before, if you're playing with less than four players, you're going to need to cover up a couple of different spots of the board. It's really easy which one, which spots you need to cover up as those are signified on the board and you'll figure out which spaces because they actually cover up very nicely with cardboard components that actually look like the board to really make it look like you really haven't covered anything up. Each player is going to take a personal board. They're going to get three family members, one with a white top, one with a black top, one with an orange top. They will also have a beige-colored token, which is an uncolored family member that also has the matching color on top of your player color. You're going to take your four marker discs. You're going to place them in various spots on the board. There's a victory point track. There's a military point track, a faith point track, and a turn order track. Make sure everybody has their marker discs on there. Everybody starts the game with two wood, two stone, and three servants. You will randomly figure out the first player, who the first player is. And from there, we just did a clockwise order for the first turn. Because as you're playing this game, order will shift throughout the game. So that will just work out through the order track. The first player gets five coins. Each player gets one subsequent, subsequent coin after that. We played, when my wife and I played, when we played down at the game store, we played with the leader cards. The way we did the leader cards is just like the rule said, we dealt four cards to each player and basically did a draft where everybody took a card, passed it around clockwise, and everybody ended up with four cards. You are pretty much ready to begin the game after that. Like I said, the game is a simple worker placement game. The rounds will consist of round setup where you're basically just discarding the cards and making sure the order track is set up properly, taking your meeples back and then dealing out a new set of cards. Everybody's going to take their actions. You have a Vatican report, which will be on round two, four, and six, which we'll go over here in a second. And then you have the end of the round. So like I said, round setup is basically kind of just what I just discovered or just what I talked about. The actions, you can take different actions on the board. You can place one of your family members into one of the towers, and then you can purchase one of the cards that's next to there. Uh, the first player is going to roll the dice, and that is going to tell you what each of your family members' value is kind of worth. So the cards the cards on the board are going to be valued at, I think, 1, 3, 5, and 7. So you can't get a 7 with just a worker because the 6 is the highest number on the die. So to get that 7, you're going to have to spend servants. So you can spend servants to basically take up any of the numbers that you have, any of your workers, to a higher number and spend workers to be able to do that. There are a few limitations to how you can place your workers in the towers. You cannot place two of the same colored workers in the same tower. If I wanted to place like my orange and black, if I was playing red and I wanted to place my orange and black family member in the same tower, I cannot do that. If I wanted to go to the same tower twice in a round, I would have to use one of my colored workers as well as one of my uncolored workers, the beige colored worker, and that is how I go there. Anytime you go to a tower when there is already a mem family member there from you or anybody else, you need to pay three gold to go to that space. There are also a lot of other spaces on the board that will give you some different actions. You can get some resources from a couple of spots. You can do some production as well as harvesting in the game. The green cards are cards that will you use for harvesting, which will give you different resources like your stone and wood. The production is going to be your buildings, which will give you some different um, components as well. 
The purple cards will give you a lot of end game benefits and the blue cards, which are supposed to be characters, will give you effects that can sometimes maybe adjust your dice throughout the game and give you like an, like an ongoing effect throughout the game. So everybody's going to place their four workers on the board. At the end of the second, fourth, and sixth rounds, like I said, you will look at the Vatican report. And based on where you are on the faith track, if you aren't on the appropriate spot, your target faith points for the rounds are you have to be, for the second round, you have to be at three. For the fourth round, you have to be at four. And then for the sixth round, you have to be at five. So if you don't want to get excommunicated and actually suffer the penalty from the excommunication tile, you need to make sure that your faith is up to that point and that you will actually then pay your faith, which will actually return you to zero. So even if that first round you only need three faith points, if you get your way up to five faith points, you'll, your, your, your tile there will actually go back to zero, but you will get the victory points as to where you were. So if you were at five, you will get five victory points. There's a little give and take that you have to do. You need to sit here and figure out is the penalty that I'm going to incur from getting excommunicated, which could, like one of the first ones we saw in our four-player game was for the first round was you would lose one number from each die. So if there was a one that was rolled on one of the dies, that die and that worker would essentially be a zero. So to put him anywhere on the board, he has to be at least worth one point. So you would have to spend at least one servant to be able to activate anything on the board. There is no space on the board that lets you place a worker with a zero cost to him, basically. You have to at least, if you, even with your beige worker, he's a zero, you have to spend at least one servant with him to be able to utilize him because there are really no free spaces on the board. So you need to figure out if that penalty is something that you're going to worry about. Uh, I believe one of the other penalties that we could incur was, I think in the second round, was possibly you would incur a penalty for the blue cards. And if you weren't planning on taking any of the blue cards throughout the whole game, you don't need to. You can just keep letting your faith build, and then maybe in that last round you can get high enough in victory points to where you can actually score quite a bit. So that's pretty much how the rounds are going to go. During your turn, you can also use your leader card as an activation. At any time, if you can fulfill the cost of the leader in the upper left-hand corner, you can play him and immediately activate him for whatever he will do. I think the leaders you definitely really want to play with because I think without it, the game might be... I could, the, the best example I can give is playing Lords of Waterdeep without the Skullport expansion. Lords of Waterdeep's a good game, but the expansion just makes it a great game. And I think these leaders, even though they're really only four cards, the mixture of actions that they do and what they can offer you is really interesting. Because if you decide later on in the game that you're probably not going to be able to fulfill some of the leader cards and actually get them into play... On your turn at any time, you can actually discard one of those leader cards out of the game to take a council palace action. And that action essentially lets you get one of multiple resources that are available in the game. It gives you a wood and stone, a couple of coin, two servants, um, I think one up on the faith track, or you can go up on the military as well. So there's a couple of different things you can do on that council space, which is... If you're not going to use the card and you are maybe need a couple of coin or you need a another servant to maybe make 
your worker maybe just one point higher, discarding one of those cards is definitely the way to go. And when my wife and I first played the game, we really didn't, we knew that, but we really didn't think about it and think about using them in that way until pretty much the last couple of rounds. I had started doing this midway through the game in the four-player game because I knew immediately I wasn't going to finish a couple of the, a couple of those cards and be able to fulfill them. Rather than let the leader card sit there to the end of the game, I needed a couple of resources really quick, so I figured let me just discard a couple of these cards now, and actually get the resources and not let my mid-game kind of falter, which is something that I sometimes do in um, Euro-style worker placement games. But I feel that I actually kept my kept my nice engine going. I had a lot of buildings actually built in my four-player game, and I had a really nice engine going that was giving me faith every turn and letting me do a couple of different things. And everybody was kind of like, you know, hey, you got a nice little engine going there. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do, and I'm kind of really enjoying that. And the interesting thing I think about Lorenzo El Magnifico is like when my wife and I played, we both kind of started going down the harvest route. We both started taking a couple of green cards and she got to the harvest space before me and then took first player. So I kind of switched up gears and went a couple of different routes. I started going heavy into the purple cards for end game scoring and she started going heavy into resources and resources in this game, five resource, five resources of any type are worth a victory point. So I think at the end of that first game we had played, my wife had around 45 resources. She pretty much had just about every component that they give you in the box in front of her in a pile which was, I just couldn't believe. And I was just busy trying to buy cards, the purple cards each turn, to try to get as many endgame points as I could. One of the other interesting things about the game is you're limited with what you can purchase in the game. You can't have, you can't ever have more than six blue cards, six purple cards, or six yellow or green cards. So six is pretty much the most you can have of anything. And purchasing two cards of one type in one turn like I said, can be a little tricky, especially later on in the game when some of the costs for the cards are a little higher. And in the in the four-player game that I played, I had no green cards, so I really didn't have any type of production going as far as harvesting goes. So I wasn't producing any stone or any wood. So purchasing cards in like that last round for me was a little tricky. Luckily, I had a leader card I was able to discard to get a little bit of resource that I needed. Um, I also had a few things in front of me that gave me a couple of the resources, but I definitely wasn't producing as much as my wife had been doing when she had that whole harvest of green in front of her and was just producing a ton of stuff each round. One of the other things I forgot to mention at the beginning of the game when you're doing the setup, there's a little bonus tile, I guess you could say, that you're going to put next to your player board. Uh, this board actually has two different sides to it. And one side is everybody has the same type of um, components on there or resources. The other side, it's all kind of mixed up a little bit. Uh, if you do a harvest action, you'll get certain things. If you do the production action, you'll get certain things. And some of the things are kind of flipped around between the board. So when you're actually doing setup, you're going to, after you figure out what the order of the game is, in reverse order, the last person actually gets to choose one of those first and put them next to their board. And then you go in reverse order back up to the first player. And the first player is stuck with what, with what is left. So that was something I forgot to mention when I was going through the setup. But those actually can, I think, come into play too because depending on what strategy you want to take at the beginning of the game, you could possibly take one of those bonus boards that gives you a couple of bonus resources whenever you do that action. But if you're hoping to be able to do a lot of production action with your yellow cards, yet everybody else is doing yellow cards at the table, so you want to jump down to green if the resources that you actually want aren't in the green area there at the beginning for those bonus, 
you know, it's really hard to figure out which which of those you want to take, and it's it can kind of be a crap shot, but I will say, I really love this game. My wife really liked this game. We thought it was really cool. Uh, there were a couple of people we played with down at the game store. Some of them aren't the most, the biggest fans of worker placement games. They even like the game. So this is a good, I would say, light to medium worker placement game. There's a little bit to learn at the beginning. After the first round, you'll definitely pretty much understand the rules. Very easy to pick up on. I think the strategy, though, is actually kind of you know, kind of deep in this game, and I can't really wait to get this to the table a couple of more times and see. Like I said, I thought the game scaled really well. It played great with just the two of us. It was a lot of fun with just four people. I don't think it was too long. Our game lasted a little bit because we had a couple of people who were learning the game. There were three people who hadn't played it. I was the only one, so sometimes during that first gameplay, the games could take a little longer, but I have a feeling subsequent games uh, with those people would definitely go a lot faster. I really like Lorenzo El Magnifico. I picked it up kind of on a whim. I had watched Rado play it in a couple other videos on this one, and it looked really interesting. We the, the store didn't actually have a demo copy, and a couple of people in my game group had actually talked about picking it up, but everybody was a little hesitant, I think, about it, and nobody really wanted to pull the trigger. So I'm really glad I did. I'm glad I got it in my collection, and I can't actually wait to play this one again because I had a really good time with it. So those were the two games that I actually talked about under the What I Want to Play Now part of the show last week. One of the other things I got to play this week on this weekend, I actually jumped back into Marvel Heroes Omega on the PS4. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago and said that I was a little bummed that when they went from the closed beta to the open beta, that the amount of coins that I was given, or I can't remember what the actual word is, but the currency that I was given to actually purchase characters with was only 400 and they had actually upped the price from the closed beta to the open beta for a majority of the characters. So there were only like two or three characters I could purchase, none of which I wanted to play at all. And everybody else was 525 and I thought oh, they're called splinters. I believe they're called splinters in the game. So most characters are 525 or more and I only had 400. So I really didn't purchase anybody because I really didn't want to waste them. So I kind of just let it sit there and I really wasn't playing because the only character I really had unlocked was Daredevil. And I played him a little bit and just wasn't really impressed with him. So then I had read in some of the forums that they had actually given people um, an, an adjustment of the splinters. And so I logged back in and I believe I had like another 500, which really surprised me because I instantly purchased Deadpool and in one day leveled him from 0 to 25 and actually got further than I did with Ghost Rider or playing in the in the closed beta. And I was just having a hell of a good time with it. I was just, just didn't want to put down the controller. If you haven't tried this game, I've mentioned it to a couple of other people. It's basically Diablo with superheroes. That's the best way to think about it. So if you're into those types of games, check it out. I really was having a good time with it. I kind of can't wait to get back to the PS4 and maybe play that one a little bit more. Other than that, that's what I played for the week. Let's talk about a few of the things that I would like to play. Baron Park is a game that I've actually seen come up quite a bit in some of the different Facebook groups. And uh, my buddy Eric, I believe, picked up the game. From my understanding, it is from the designer who did Patchwork. And it is kind of a four-player type of Patchwork game where you're building a bear park. It actually looks really cool. I actually would like to get that one to the table, so I'm kind of looking forward to that one. There was another game that I noticed on Twitter. I believe I had seen this one, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. This is a take of Betrayal at House on the Hill, 
but put in the Baldur's Gate D&D universe, which sounds really cool. I've always wanted to play Betrayal at House on the Hill. I've never had a chance to play it. Every time I see it being played down at the game store, I'm usually in the middle of another game, and I've never been able to get that one to the table. So playing a D&D style Baldur's Gate type game of that nature sounds really, really interesting, and I wouldn't mind playing that one. And then, of course, I have to mention one computer game that I noticed on Kickstarter this week, Pathfinder Kingmaker. Paizo has teamed up with a development company, and they are actually releasing a CRPG, a computer role-playing game. This is going to be akin to, let's mention Baldur's Gate again, it's going to be akin to the old Baldur's Gate RPG-type games from years ago that many of you may be familiar with, but it is set in the Kingmaker Pathfinder universe which to me sounds outstanding. I'm hoping this game is way better than the MMO that they tried to produce because I still don't think that one has really come out of Alpha and I'm not really too sure where that one is. I know I visited that site a couple of times within the past several months just to see that it, the game was still alive, but I'm not really too sure how much, if they're ever really going to bring that one into full production. So we'll see on that one. But this one, it looks like they have a good development company behind them. From what I've seen from some of the graphics and some of the screenshots and some of the gameplay so far, the graphics look really nice. The gameplay looks very fun, and I'm hoping that this is one that I just might have to immediately kickstart. So I'm really looking forward to Pathfinder Kingmaker. Other than that, I'm just looking forward to what I'm going to get to play next week down at Origins. So I'm going to end this podcast, get this posted and start sending out more emails to try to see if I could set up some more demos with some different publishers and designers. So as always, you guys can send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We have a guild there, guild number 2440. Just look for what I'm playing now out on Board Game Geek. On Twitter, you can follow me at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop that G like I always say. On Facebook, just do a search for what I'm playing now. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign. What I'm playing now podcast. And then as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. All right, everybody, I am probably going to do one more episode this weekend where I will discuss some of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing down at Origins. I'm going to try to do some research over the weekend, put together a game show of some of the top things that I'd like to see and some of the things I'm hoping to see down there. So look for that this weekend. Other than that, next week, I'm going to try to do some nightly updates that I will be sending out maybe to the Facebook page as well as out to Twitter, as well as some write-ups of some of the things that I'm going to be playing down there. I'm also going to try to be doing some short interviews with some different designers and publishers on some of the things that they are currently working on or that they've maybe just released, as well as a few of the things that they're playing right now to see what they actually have been getting to the table recently. So keep an eye out for some of the next couple of podcasts. There could be a mishmash of some things going on and some of the origin stuff may bleed over into a couple of episodes. So we're going to see how much content I can actually create while I am down there. So other than that, everybody, you know what to do right now. Go play some games and then let me know what you're playing now. Until the this weekend, a couple of days away, I'm going to be doing another podcast. Um, everybody, have fun playing games, and I will talk to you later. Thanks for joining me. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.